Well, welcome to the Hills Church at Home. So glad that you're a part of this and an opportunity for us to really uh, come together and read God's word, study the scriptures, and today receive communion together. Let me encourage you to do a couple things. You can download the message notes and the kids activity sheet at hillschurcharcadia.org. In fact, I have my message notes that are online. They're right here on the back are the communion scriptures. We won't read all of those, but have plenty of scriptures for you to go back over again. That's what I encourage you to do each and every week is take the printout and you go through these verses and you read because we don't have the time together to go through all of these. And that's why it's important for your personal study to read these scriptures. Well, my title today is, um, and, ha and shall not doubt, and shall not doubt. And I want to pick up those words, but I want to go back to the verse that we've been looking at the last few weeks, and that's Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 26. Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 26. And if you need to, you can do this. You can pause, uh, pause this and get your communion elements Gather whatever you have, bread and juice, a piece of donut and coffee, whatever it is, because at the end of this, I do want us to have a time of communion. So important. So Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 26. And let me read this today to us. Remember, our title is, And Shall Not Doubt. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And when you pray, standing, or when you stand praying, if you have anyone, anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So it's interesting in that one verse. In fact, let me pull it right back up here where it talks about uh, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And then it says, and does not doubt in his heart. I want to talk a little bit uh, about that today, but let's come before the Lord. Let's settle in. Let's listen to him through these scriptures as he is speaking to us. So Father, we thank you that we come across these verses that you're speaking to us and that you would quicken our hearts and our minds not to doubt, that we strengthen ourselves according to your word this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let me mention a couple things before we get into this. As we just read Mark 11, 22 through 26, it's actually part of a larger story that's taking place. And it took place right after Palm Sunday, where Jesus came in riding the colt, 
They were putting down the branches. They were putting, people were putting down their coats and they were calling out Hosanna, Hosanna. It's probably Tuesday of Passion Week. Now remember, he's going to be crucified on Friday and he's going to raise from the dead on Sunday. Yet there's probably something at play in the minds of the disciples when they saw the crowds and they were cheering and they were cheering Jesus. I think they thought the people were going to make him king that day. And it didn't happen. In fact, they probably thought he was going to go up to the temple and become king. Yet he went up to the temple and cleared the temple. And then the next day he has this teaching from them. And I think it's so important for them, but they don't listen to what he says. In fact, those words, and shall not doubt, because in the next few days, there's going to be several events that take place. He's going to have what we call the Last Supper or the time of communion. And at that time of communion, the one that will accuse him and betray him will be identified, dipping in the bowl at the same time. That's Judas. Judas will go out and betray Jesus's location and lead them to Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Though they're praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus will be arrested. And right after that is where Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. Jesus will be beaten. Jesus will be mocked. He will be crowned with thorns. He'll have a robe. He'll be stricken by the, the soldiers. He'll be crucified. And yet we know that he'll rise from the dead. And yet the disciples are going to scatter at that point. As we'll look at it at the end, and there was one that's referred to, we refer to him as Doubting Thomas, that would not believe until first he saw with his own eyes Jesus' scars, and he physically inspected and touched and put his fingers through the nail-scarred hands and put his hand into the side where the spear went into Jesus. So when Jesus speaks this of Passion Week, probably around Tuesday, Think about what is going to change in just a matter of a few days. But this is also speaking to us because Jesus identifies mountains as obstacles. And yet one of the factors that he talks about is that we should not doubt in our heart. In fact, I want to put this up to think about, you know, the devil's playground is in your mind and in your thoughts. Right away, and you can look at it later, in Genesis chapter 3, he's confusing Eve. He's twisting God's words. He's saying things to her mind that were not true, but it caused confusion and caused her to act on something opposite of what God said. Jesus said in John chapter 8, is a reference there, he said the devil is a liar. Well, we know this according to scripture, God cannot lie. It's referred to that God is not a man that he should lie. It's outside of his nature. His ability does not lie. Satan is the liar. And so his playground where he likes to confuse and to twist things is in our mind and in our thoughts. But here's what's important. If faith can move mountains, doubt can add more. If faith can move the very mountain that Jesus said, Jesus then warned us, but it warned us about doubt, but doubt can add more mountains. In fact, I think it's important to throw out a quick definition. In fact, we, we read this in the Bible of a definition of the word doubt. 
Doubt means to hesitate, to be unsure, and to lack confidence. Notice what it says. It means to hesitate, to be unsure, to lack confidence. Jesus talked about the mountains in the ways, those obstacles that seem immovable. But he said, if you believe, you can say for it to be removed and cast into the sea. But then he used those words, but does not doubt. Doubt adds mountains to it. So doubt throws hesitation and you're unsure and you don't act. But having faith in God is connecting your mind, your heart, and your mouth into alignment with his words. In fact, I always say this, whatever we, I think we started out this year, whatever Whatever weakness that you have in your life, struggle, a weakness, you should become an expert on that topic through the Bible. Whatever weakness it is, in fact, even if we took doubt and you took, I doubt a lot, go back through the Bible and find Bible characters that doubted, yet they found strength in what God said and acted on what God said. You should become a student of the very thing that is the weakness that is holding you back. In fact, that I really believe that having faith in God is connecting your mind, your heart, and your mouth. It's all in alignment. And you know, but here's what's important. It is never easy to control these things. Romans lets us know about renewing this mind. Ephesians lets us know that the word of God is what washes our heart. James lets us know about the very power of the tongue. And all three of those have to come into alignment to stop the very thing that we doubt. Those mountains look immovable. They're obstacles. They're huge. Jesus said they can be removed, but do not doubt. You know, Jesus used uh, these words that would become so powerful. In fact, he mentions in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, in talking to the religious leaders of the day, he said, you brood of vipers. How can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance or whatever is on the inside of your heart, that comes out of your mouth. Let me read that out of the passage translation for us. But you who are known as the Pharisees are rotten to the core like venomous snakes. How can your words be good if you are rotten within? For what has been stored up in your hearts will be heard in the overflow of your words. I always like to say this, you know, you drop a brick on your toe, something's going to come out of your mouth, and that kind of shows you what's in abundance. When an obstacle comes in the way and you see it, usually you respond by saying something. And in whatever it is that you said, it's coming from the inside of your heart. That's where we have to identify whatever weakness we have, and we can't build it up by the wisdom of man. We've got to get back into the wisdom of God to build up a strength over weakness. You know, we hear a lot in certain sports, some more than others, 
is many of the players have to do film study of the other opponent. And when they uh, view the other opponent for hours upon hours, what they're trying to identify is one, what is their opponent good at? But what is the weakness of the opponent? And when we identify the weakness of the opponent, we can attack that one area. If the weakness is in a special team, then we adapt our special teams to attack their weakness. If their weakness is an area of the offense, we maneuver the defense to attack that area. If their weakness is in the area of defense, we strengthen up the offense. They're looking for weaknesses to, sh to shore up on their own to be strong. And many times we've got to sit down and be honest with ourselves to find out what is the very thing that has become a weakness on the inside of us so that we can build up through God's word, that we become a student of God's word. I know somebody who struggled in confidence and they begin to study everything that the Bible had to say about being confident in God, being confident in Jesus. And it became such a strength they almost became an expert on what the Bible had to say about confidence. Have we become an expert in God's word on the very things that we show weakness? Because we understand when there's doubt, those mountains don't move. Where there's doubt, that's where the enemy flees. That's, the, uh, that's where he seizes upon and he wants to inhabit that as a playground. But we've got to shore up the mind, the heart and our mouth all in alignment. In fact, we looked at this verse uh, last week and I, and I thought it was so uh, appropriate to bring it out again. And Jesus does this in a setting of people, he's gonna call up a little child. And this is out of the Passion Translation, Matthew chapter 18, verse two through four. Jesus called a little one to his side and said to them, learn this well. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable and learn about heaven's kingdom realm with the wide-eyed wonder of a child, you will never be able to enter in. Whoever continually humbles himself to become like this gentle child is the greatest one in heaven's kingdom's realm, right? The wide-eyed wonder of a child, the wide-eyed humbling yourself, identifying that place when, when obstacles come. I know I'm weak in this area, and I know I need to build that area up by God's word. In fact, I, I wrote a few things that, that are down to kind of help us out. You know, uh, Bible characters all responded to God's plan and God's word, a lot of them did differently. In fact, I wanted to pull a few of them out. When God called Abram and told him to go to a land that he would show him in Genesis chapter 12, God told him to leave his family. He takes Lot along, and Lot becomes not only a problem later, but then we read right away when he travels down to Egypt, he's going to lie to the Pharaoh and the leaders that his wife is not his wife, it's his sister. He actually does that another time. So we could say that Abram tried to think in his own thinking. Sarah, when she was told about the promise of God that she would have a child, 
not only being barren, but being older, she laughed, right? She laughed at God's plan. We read about Moses when God called Moses. Moses made ex excuses that he wasn't articulate enough, that he couldn't speak very well. And God allowed him then to take Aaron. He came up with excuses not to do it. Jacob was a deceiver, right? He deceived his brother's birthright from his dad, tried to dress up hairy like his brother. We read about Jonah when God calls Jonah to give a prophetic word at a certain time that Jonah runs, right? He runs. He wants to run completely away from what God did. And then lastly, Thomas, one of the disciples chosen by Jesus, after Jesus had prayed all night long, chosen, followed Jesus for three and a half years, eyewitness of miracles and teachings, walking Jesus, seeing Jesus walk on the water, seeing Jesus raise the dead to life. And yet he would say that he did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead unless he saw and touched that resurrected body. Boy, in just a, a quick snapshot, and we can exhaust the list of people that God used by faith they acted, and yet they had areas of doubt or coming to themselves. And I think that's why Jesus wants us to make sure that we have strong faith in his word that can move mountains and that we learn that we've got to get rid of that doubt because doubt will add more. It'll make you immovable. You won't respond. You'll feel almost like you can't move forward. And that's where it's so important that we dig into his word, that we're wide-eyed like a child and that we humble ourselves. If we say we have no weakness, then we make him a liar. And he's allowed us to come to him with whatever weakness we have so that we can shore it up according to what his word says. Before Joshua ever does anything for the Lord and follows any direction, God wants to make sure that he's meditating his words day and night. So let's do that together. We'll, we'll, or we'll, and can we bring those things that are doubts and weaknesses? Can we stop even right now? And let's bring those things before the Lord. Let's identify it, but then let's commit to dig in and to be a student of his word, strengthening uh, our spirits, connecting mind, heart, and mouth. Well, Father, we come before you. We know that you don't cast anybody out. You don't look upon us if we have a weakness and just shake your head. In fact, you want us to strengthen ourselves up in our most holy faith. So, Father, we bring that weakness to you. And, Lord, we commit before you to be students of your word, to allow your words to change our hearts and the way we think to change the very words that we say, that we won't see ourselves like that. We'll start to see ourselves as you have said for us in your word. We thank you that we're not alone. The Holy Spirit leads and guides us. The Holy Spirit will give us the scriptures of what to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, I so encourage you to be a student in the area of weakness. Dig out those scriptures, memorize them, say them.
Get a different picture about your life on the inside. Allow your mind to be changed. Allow your heart to be changed. Allow your words to be changed of what God says about the situation. We pray those things today over you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, let's roll into a time of communion together. And so if you have your, your elements, uh, bring those out. And I wanted just to read a couple of scriptures today. You know, and I, I was thinking back into the, the book of Genesis, and I wanted to read this one, this one verse out of Genesis chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You know, in uh, in Genesis chapter 4, we read about knowing that Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. We know that Cain was a master gardener and Abel was a master with the sheep. And on that one particular time, uh, as they began to offer an offering to the Lord, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground, fruits and vegetables, but Abel brought uh, a lamb to sacrifice. And the Lord accepted the sacrifice of Abel. And it bothered Cain so much that he didn't press in to find out what pleased the Lord, that he rose up one day and killed his brother. Now, think about this. All we have, according to the Bible that we read about, there's Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel, and Cain takes out his brother Abel. We don't read where Abel says or anything is recorded as a word at all that Abel said. The only thing we know about Abel is he was born, that he offered a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. And yet that last part of that one verse, we read this, that his blood cried up to God from the ground. You know, I think that's a powerful one because you can look a little bit later in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 where, where it mentions Bible characters and it says by faith. It was by faith. It starts with Abel and it starts about with and talks about that his blood cries up. But I want you to think about that, that we serve a God that sees all things. We think, and as we watch the headlines and we watch the world, that sometimes we wonder, is God seeing anything that's going on? And let me tell you, absolutely. He knew that Abel's blood cried up from the ground. And remember, blood is the life force of the body. Blood is what's keeping everything going. And, you know, people react differently when they see blood. Some people get queasy and want to pass out. Other people run completely away. Some people dive right in. They can't, you know, they want to help and they want to be a part. Blood does something. Blood is what, as you read through the scriptures, that became the sacrifice for the covering of sin for the people. It was a sacrifice of a lamb without blemish. Blemish. It was to, it could only cover the sin of the people, but there had to be one. In fact, that's what God set up before the foundations of the world. You'll see in a couple scriptures that we won't uh, take time to read today, but before the foundations of the world, the lamb 
Jesus was slain. And yet he had to come alongside of us. He had to be born just like we were born. He had to live just like we were to live. But he did all things in fullness and grace, and he didn't even sin, not only once. He became that spotless lamb. He would go to the cross. He would lay down his life. He would spill his blood for you and for me. In fact, I read this verse this week out of the passage translation. I wanted to read it for us. Isaiah 53, 5. But it was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced. And because of our sins that he was crushed. He endured the punishment that made us completely whole. And in his wounding, we found our healing. Let me read that again. In fact, would you read this along with me? But it was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced. And because of our sins that he was crushed, he endured the punishment that made us completely whole. And in his wounding, we found our healing. Here we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 24, it gives that example when we think back to Abel's blood and the significance of the blood that's being seen and the blood that cries out, we read this verse, Hebrews 12, 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. In the Old Testament, they would sprinkle that blood that became the covering of sin. In Jesus's wounding and piercing, he bled so that we could be forgiven and it would not cover, it would be complete forgiveness. In fact, the Bible records when we confess our sins that he forgives us and he gives us that example. He forgets it like from the east into the west like it's cast down to the deepest part of the ocean, he forgives and forgets that sin. And that just wasn't what Jesus died for. It wasn't just for sin. It was for our sickness, our healing, our new covenant, our eternal life. All of those promises in the Bible that are yes and amen. And so that's why when Jesus on that last supper with the disciples that he wanted to institute this time of communion to remember him. It says, Jesus took bread, blessed, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, oh, I'm sorry, take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out from the Mount of Olives. So Jesus takes the bread. In fact, I'd encourage you to do that as we come today that you would take your bread or your cracker, whatever you have, and would you break it 
as an example, as a symbol of Jesus's broken body that was broken for you, and that we remember his broken body that bled, that shedding of blood, that pouring out of blood was for you and for I, for our forgiveness of sins, for the healing in our bodies, for the restoration of relationship with him. Let's receive that together. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he reminded them that it was the blood of the new covenant. This new covenant, this fulfillment of those old promises, but this new covenant found in him. And so as we drink our juice today, would we remember that his blood was was shed for us and that we can come boldly to him to find mercy and grace. Let's receive that together. You know, as I read about Abel, uh, I had done some reading. Some people think that his blood was crying out for vengeance. If that was true, God would have struck Cain. But when you read about Cain, Cain was concerned about that, that he, that People would kill him, but God marked him. In fact, when you read on about Cain's life, that marking protected that he wouldn't be killed. When you read on about Cain's life, one of Cain's sons was Enoch. Enoch was the one we read in the Bible. One day he walked with God and God took him. That came from the line of Cain. If Abel's blood was crying out for vengeance and justice against Cain, God would have struck Cain dead. I believe that the blood was crying out for redemption. We read that in the book of Romans that this whole earth is crying out for redemption. We understand whether or not we knew it at all that we were crying out for redemption. We were alienated going in our own direction, but because of Jesus, we come to him and we remember his life, laying down his own life for you and for me. And we remember those. And I, I pray that you go through those scriptures and encourage yourself in the Lord for all that he did. Well, before we close, let's uh, receive our tithes and offerings today. And I, I want to read a verse of what Jesus said in Luke. And he says this in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be put into your bosom and for with the same measure that you use it it will be measured back to you. Jesus reminds us, in fact, we read those verses before, we're to humble ourselves. We're to take a hold of his words are opposite of how we would think and what we would want to do. But what we find in him is a life of blessing and not cursing. And he says, give and it'll be given back unto you. But he doesn't stop there. He gives those different adjectives, right? Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So let's pray this prayer together. In fact, I'd encourage you, whether you're repeating after me or reading it along, would you pray this prayer, mean this in your heart as we pray together? And this is between you and your Father God. As I give in today's offering, I have faith in the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who has given us his infallible word, the God who promises and never breaks his word. 
I have faith in my God who shall supply all that it is needed when it is needed in Jesus name. Amen. If you're giving today, you can go to our website, hillschurcharcadia.org. You can click on the give button. It's fast, safe, and secure. You can also uh, write to us. Our mailing address is the Hills Church, P.O. Box 661419, Arcadia, California, 91066. Hey, and let me invite you because Easter is right around the corner. It comes early this year. It's April 4th. And let me encourage you to be a part. There's a, really three ways that you can do so. You can come to our service in Arcadia in person. In fact, in person, in outdoor or online. Come in person. You can sit inside. You can sit outdoor or you can watch online. But I encourage you to do so this Easter on April 4th at 10 o'clock, really encourage you to come on out, view or however. Uh, we'd love for you to come. Remember to keep up uh, on your Bible reading. You can download it from our website. Very easy to do. Follow along. We're in the book of Numbers uh, this week. So important that we read that. And as we do each and every week, as we close out our time together, we read Psalm 121, 1 and 2. And I hope you have it memorized by now where David penned and wrote because he was looking up to the hill where the Ark of the Covenant was, the presence of God, and it strengthened him. And he put, I look up to the hills, but where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I pray you look to the Lord this week. I pray you do not have any doubt. I pray that you find whatever weakness you have, make it strong, be courageous, be strong in the battle because the Lord is on your side. We're praying for you. God bless you. Have a great week.